Welcome to Over to Europe. This podcast is produced by students of Civica, the European University of Social Sciences. I'm your host Aniket Narawad, a first-year Master of Public Policy student at Hertie School, Berlin. In history, we can see the role of higher education has changed according to the needs of society. We find Plato's Academy for Philosophical and Mathematical Education. In India, we find monasteries where spiritual and material subjects were studied together. In China, the Han Dynasty established grand institution to train cadres of imperial administration. In the medieval ages in Europe, character building, building certain sensibilities were core of the higher education. The education was to prepare certain class of men to take public offices. In the age of enlightenment, the emphasis shifted to critical thinking, skepticism, tolerance and rejection of blind faith. In the past 100 years, the higher education is influenced by the economic growth. In this episode, we are going to make an attempt to understand the role of higher education in today's world and Europe. We are going to discuss how higher education is catering the needs of society today. We are going to discuss how technology is disrupting how we do higher education to discuss this we have professor vanessa share professor share is a vice president of international affairs at sciences po paris we also have professor livio matai professor matai is a professor of higher education policy professor matai also is provost of central european university in the recent last 100 years we can see that the education higher education is specifically market driven i wanted to start with professor matai professor what do you uh, think about what is the role of higher education today in europe specifically well it is uh, it, you know in, i think there are two implied questions here or one explicit question and one implied uh, the implied question is whether higher education has a different role in europe than uh, in other parts of the world Uh, and then uh, what is this role and i would answer the first question by saying um higher education fulfills the same roles the same functions uh, everywhere in the world and the higher education has a multitude of uh, of functions the most important of which being the production and the transmission of knowledge but there are other functions as well and if we talk about uh, um broader functions societal political functions what is happening in europe what has been happening for more than two decades now is that higher education has been used as a tool to support the european construction to support the project of an integrated europe culturally politically and also economically and we have uh, uh, now encountered or lived through or participated even in several such projects so we have the bologna process which uh, was started in 1999 and was meant to help create a european higher education area involving today basically all countries of europe as a continent from russia to ireland and from uk to turkey germany to macedonia and so on but the the, the underlying idea was not only to have a higher education space 
but through this contribute to economic integration, social integration, political integration, advancement in all this area. So in that regard, there is a policy dimension that is specific for Europe. There are no uh, other regional integration experiments in the world in which higher education has such a major uh, role. But and otherwise, you know, the, I can give an entire, not only a lecture, a course answering this, this, these two questions, but I think I'll stop here. Thank you very much, Professor. Dr. Vanessa, I want to ask you, you not only worked in Europe, but you also worked in America in the higher educational space. Would you give insights about what is the role currently in the, Professor Mate has focused more on Europe. Would you like to give an insights about what is the role of education in generally in the world today, higher education specifically? Yes, thank you. And I also understood in your first uh, question the fact that uh, there was also a, a before and now. So is, is there a difference historically? And so I'm happy to uh, answer regarding the higher education globally. First of all, um, I don't think there is a, a reason why the traditional purpose of higher education should have changed dramatically. So there is uh, there, there there are eternal roles that that remain uh, in addition to produce and transmit knowledge as uh, Liv you said earlier higher education has played important economic social political and cultural roles in the different periods of history all over the world it's true that there has been um, important and accelerated mutations that, that have occurred in the recent decades in particular um Access to higher education has improved uh, over the ages and uh, recently in particular, and that uh, accent on, uh, on, on the fact that universities are and higher education is an agent of diversity in societies is very important and, and we should stick to this. Um, more recently, also, higher education has been more connected to society and the fact that the way we measure the impact of higher education on societies has become more important recently, and Chivika, our university of the, of, um, the our European University of the Social Sciences, is uh, central to to this. Uh, but also, and maybe we'll talk about that again later. The, the the quicker and more important mutations of the past twenty years, I would say, uh, was related to the digital world uh, that we now live in, and the impact of technology on education. And in this context, more than ever. The, the need for society is for universities worldwide and not only in Europe to educate the young generation to become informed and enlightened citizens with and uh, with a critical thinking and, and become critical thinkers. And on this, the role of universities in the social sciences in particular is really key. Uh, the generations of tomorrow uh, will need critical distance uh, toward the the, the information and knowledge they have access to. And this is a central purpose of, of uh, universities. And last but not least, and I hope we'll talk about that again, um, and I mentioned that as a VP of International and European Affairs, um, is that higher education is also a very unique place uh, where uh, that has less frontiers in a way than other type of, uh, of spaces. And so it is a place that constitutes access to dialogue and mutual understanding, cooperation, and therefore peace. And that's also a very important role that we have realized in Europe, as Livio said earlier, but most probably is also a role that needs to be thought about globally. 
Thank you very much. I'll definitely ask you both of your questions about Civica and specifically more focus in Europe. But before that, you mentioned an interesting point about digital transformation, especially in the pandemic, we have seen that the the world, all of the sectors are being affected, but because of pandemic, the higher education has been completely moved to uh, uh, to the digital space. I am doing my uh, first year, first semester remotely now, so I can understand what, what is happening. So I wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Vanessa, what is the, how is technology is affecting the overall educational ecosystem? It is increasing accessibility. Can you just give us, give us some insights about that? Yes, thank you very much. And so you are inviting us to reflect on the horrendous crisis that we just went through. The only good news, if there is one good news in this uh, terrible crisis, is that digital education has gained a legitimacy that it would never have gained so fast otherwise. And that was needed because, as you said, digital education can be a multiplier of equal access to education. It is an agent of democratization for many um, uh, populations in the world, in globally, and not only in the global south, everywhere. It's also a multiplier of learning in terms of pedagogy that we cannot disregard. And, um, and also digital education will expand the possibilities for lifelong learning, which is key for our societies. So all these are the, the, the meager good news of this, of this crisis, um, even though there are challenges, of course. All this being said, uh, I believe uh, in, um, in the fact that uh, universities are dense human spaces that can only prolific ecosystems and that can only have a positive impact on society if they are a place of dense human life experience. By that, I mean that physical experience, to me, is the core of higher education and digital pedagogy can be a value added, but that would be the order. Um, uh, this is especially true uh, for the formative years of young adults. After the family socialization of the young years and then the, the primary school socialization, universities offer a space and a time to become adult that should be a time with human tangible experiences. And in this, uh, universities are uh, incomparable spaces, in addition to the fact that that's where you, 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 you learn and you from all older generations. And so for this, I think we should mix physical and digital education together. But I'm quite certain that one is the core and the other one should be added to it. Thank you very much for the answer. Uh, I can relate to what you're saying. The physical education cannot be replaced with the digital education. But digital education, as you said, has certain key uh, advantages which can help us at least increase accessibility. Uh, Professor Metai, I want to ask you about what are the key challenges uh, when we are adapting to this this thing? Some of the we we are from. Uh, quite premium education, educational institutions. But if you want to expand this to, let's say, rural parts of, let's say, Asia, rural parts of Africa, there are, there are going to be severe challenges in this kind of education also. Could you touch upon that a little bit? I, I would link this to, to your first question about the, the role and main roles and functions of higher education today and how uh, digital education plays into this. And I, I think what is interesting to observe is that higher education has become very central, very prominent in the public 
experiences in our societies, but also in the private experience of individuals. And let me just illustrate this a little abstract thought with uh, two examples. So when, uh, when we talk about the American dream nowadays, some people say the American dream is to have a car, a house, and a college degree, like suggesting that everybody should have a car, a house, and a college degree. This is something quite quite new, and we can discuss it. Not everybody will agree, but this is an indication. This very you know uh, articulation of the American dream is an indication about how central higher education, university education has become. And that will take me to the issue of access. But I want to give another example which speaks more for the societies. And I I, I'm, I was thinking of this while listening to, to Vanessa previously. We are in a knowledge society, which means, among other things, that uh, you know the individual advancement, advancement of societies, competitiveness of entire countries is based on knowledge not on natural resources, uh, size of the labor market primarily and so on, but knowledge. And where is knowledge produced and transmitted? Primarily in universities. That's why we have this competition. Who in the world has the best universities? Who has them highest in the ranking? So higher education is also central for governments, for nations, not only for individuals. And what is, we have this, uh, this big challenge of uh, access you know who has access to higher education and who doesn't and some countries are very uh, active and forceful in trying to increase access increase the rate of participation in higher education we have countries where more than 70 percent of the age group uh, whatever it is 19 to 18 to 24 will go to higher education you know finland uh, South Korea, Cuba was the was the first for, for many years, and others where the participation rate is low. But what has happened now with the the COVID crisis is that we understand a little better uh, this challenge. There are also new aspects of the of the challenge. Who can get access to higher education and who cannot, and what can distance education do? And there is this entire discussion about uh, whether only online education is good or not, uh, how much online education is good, what happens, uh, no, uh, what, what are illusions here and what are real opportunities. I remember I was once in a discussion with uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, the leader now of uh, Myanmar and the foreign consultant, and the foreign consultant told her, Forget about developing your own curriculum in universities. You don't have the resources. You don't have the time. You should just go online and have your students take courses from universities abroad. And that will solve you everything. You know, it's cheap. It's immediate. And Aung San Suu Kyi said, oh, this is all very good. But you know what is the pen internet penetration rate in my country at present? That was many years ago, 1%. So I said, no, 1% of households have access to internet. So even if we were to do that, which of course it's stupid, you don't want to, to do that, just take the courses offered by uh, other universities, it would not be possible. So there are these issues, uh, online education can increase access. And personally, I believe it is not a problem if certain programs are exclusively online because you know it is not possible for some students learner to get access 
otherwise. And this is not only about remote areas. There is this formidable program in the United States run by Starbucks and Arizona State University, where they offer entire degrees, undergraduate degrees, four years to Starbucks employees who didn't have the time, didn't have the resources to go to a university, to college, to attend regular course, courses and thousands I don't remember exactly the number, 20,000 perhaps of uh, people were able to get a degree in this way. Of course, it is better to have uh, you know, a blended model to allow for real life interaction with peers and with professors. That wouldn't have been possible. So I am not uh, uh, that worried about online only when it works, when you know there is no better chance for that. But I, as you are suggesting in a way there are many aspects we have to be careful about when it is possible so you know instead of having online only courses pre-packaged for refugees in refugee camps if we can bring them into a university that is a lot better so if that is uh, now not having any education higher education is worse than having just online but having online and uh, you know real life in person is better when when that is uh, when that is possible so i i think well, as vanessa was suggesting the covid crisis has allowed us to to understand differently the uh, opportunities and also the challenges that come with online education. I'll give one last example and I, I'll finish here. We have very ambitious uh, Civica projects that uh, will take advantage of technology, advanced technology, and they will work, I have no doubt. At CEU, the faculty was adamantly against online education. We had almost zero online education because nobody believed in it. In March this year, we were forced to move to online education from one day to another, and it worked. And the faculty saw that it does work, it's interesting, it can be fun, as a matter of fact. So now nobody is again. So now the discussion is what to do and how to do it good rather than whether to do it or not to do it. Uh, one of the key things I think Professor Mehta mentioned in his uh, first question was the role of higher education in Europe specifically. Europe is not like uh, any other country. The identity of Europe was formed like reverse engineered in a way, you know, you, 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 the European countries came together for certain goals, like economic goals, and then slowly the identity of being European developed. What is the role of education in this particular, uh, for, you know, formation of Europe, the binding of Europe, uh, building the identity of Europe? Professor Mehta, let's start with you. Okay, so so I'll be this is I'll be short. This is an excellent question. One of the functions of higher education is to help build identity group identity, national identity, regional identity, and higher education has played a very important role in Europe in the emergence of national states, in the emergence of Europe, and well, perhaps unfortunately, we have several Europes at present with several identities. So this is a very important part uh, when we talk about the functions of higher education. And uh, I would just say you can find it even when where you don't expect it, because one might expect that uh, while only at national level, for example, only new states or you know countries getting their independence recently get into using higher education to build national identity that is not the case that place 
higher education plays a ro that role everywhere. And my example here is the project in France a few years ago uh, under President Nicolas Sarkozy, the so-called ground and prone, the, the big loan, 20 billion or so to invest in higher education. I don't know what came of it, but one of the intentions of this massive investment was through higher education to assert French national identity in a global arena. Uh, which is also a very timely question. Um, why is it a timely question? Because we had the good news in the um, previous days that the budget for the Erasmus Plus program was increased uh, in an unprecedented amount uh, for the coming 21-27 uh, period. What does this mean? Uh, it, it reminds us that the Erasmus program is the most popular policy that the EU has ever made in the past decades. And this popularity goes across all generations, all political parties, um, all countries in Europe. And it's very meaningful. It shows that higher education has been at the core of European identity, as you said. And it has been um, instrumental in building support to the European project. And that goes again to what I said earlier, what is the EU? Uh, it is the, the historical success of building peace uh, on, a, on a continent, a, a long-term peace on a continent that had never known peace uh, for so long in, in history. And so we can see that higher education plays a huge role in this building of, of the EU and in um, 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 creating recognition and self-recognition for all European citizens in the European project. So um, it's uh, absolutely, uh, higher education is absolutely key in the building of, of Europe for sure, especially when it targets the creation of knowledge and innovation, that's Europe compared to the rest of the world, but also uh, when it targets the youth and it builds, again, the um, feeling of uh, identity uh, to, uh, to Europe and to other European citizens. Thank you very much. Uh, Europe has a lot of institutions, like some of political institutions who cover all of the countries. And then you have economic institutions like uh, central bank, uh, European central bank, uh, who take care of all of the Europe. But if you look at the higher education uh, ecosystem overall, Europe has a history of having really good institutions. They're one of the best institutions in the world, but they are discreet. France has few, Germany has few, UK has few. They're all discreet. The, one of the key things that is happening uh, through the projects like Civica is they're trying to connect this institution. They're trying to build a build uh, bridges between this so that the resources are exchanged. What do you think? How, what, what is the role of such uh, such alliances? Uh, Dr. Vanessa, because you have worked around this heavily, could you talk about what is the role of exchange of resource among institutions? How this is going to help overall build a different level of a different kind of higher education system? We felt that we would be stronger together in defending our voice of universities dedicated to the social sciences and therefore defending not only and, and increasing the outreach of our universities and our capacity to create knowledge and to raise uh, the younger uh, generation thanks to higher education, if we could build that European campus together, 
but also stronger to advocate for the social, social sciences itself, which is also a very important project, but that we also needed to come together as Europeans to advocate for the specific European voice in the world today. So all these are important pillars of what we do. I'll, I'll, I'll make uh, only two comments because uh, when we talk about institutions here, I think it is important to distinguish between institutions of higher education like universities, colleges, and then uh, also we should uh, distinguish uh, the European institutions, you know, supranational institutions. And it's very interesting what is happening because when you have to build a new political entity, this is not only about values, norms, uh, but it's also about laws and it is about institutions. And this is what has happened in Europe for a number of years and this continues and the present moment is very interesting. What Vanessa was talking about, the European University Networks, Civica being one example, is an attempt to create a new model of higher education institution that is not national, not Romanian, Hungarian, French, German, is not even a consortium of in, uh, institutions from various countries, but one European university. This is very ambitious. We want to be the European University of Social Sciences. It is very ambitious. It is very difficult. Whether it will work or not in this way, I don't know. Not many people are willing even to acknowledge that this is one of the objectives of this European University Initiative, but I find this fascinating and it's very important. Another part of this construction, wherever it may lead, has to do with building European institutions, not higher education institutions, but other institutions. And imagine that we had a European accreditation agency. And instead of having a French diploma or a German diploma or a Romanian diploma, you would get uh, European degree because every university would be a, this was on the table 15 years ago it was rejected because countries didn't want to give up their right to uh, to grant degrees or to uh, to accredit degrees but we have something that is called uh, the European uh, Registry of Quality Assurance Agencies well, so this is a European institution that accredits in a way actually only acknowledges or lists national agencies. So this was our way to get to a European uh, diploma without calling it a European diploma. And this is only one example. We have the European Research Council, which is a European Union institution for uh, organization to fund research and so on. So it is very important to see all these attempts at building supranational institutions uh, European institutions as part of this uh, process of European construction, which I should say it's a little stalled at present, uh, but there are still interesting developments. And if I may add to that very quickly, Aniket, sorry, and, and, and thank you, Liviu, for reminding that indeed we are also building a new model for higher education. Uh, and uh, I'd like to add that it's also very close to the EU spirit, uh, the EU being a state without borders. We also realize that um, this uh, Civica, uh, like all other uh, European uh, universities, are going to be multipliers of opportunities for our students, for our faculty, for our staff, because we are opening our spaces. Because universities now are very sovereign in a way. And now we are 
uh, opening the borders of each of our universities, which we started to do before, but with that concept of the European universities, we are opening uh, ourselves to each other, and that will benefit to all our communities in terms of being multipliers of opportunities and also densifying the European identity. I, I should mention that this podcast, which is which is again uh, comes as which is kind of a representation of civic values. We tried to we had professors from all the seven institutions. We have students. I had to plot time uh, opportunity to talk to all of the. The whole point of this podcast was to bring the people of different institutions together and have a dialogue about different things, like having someone from Paris, having someone from you know, EUI, like uh, different institutions, and giving the platform. I think that is the core to Savika, like bridging, creating a platform where people can come together to build something. And as you were saying, the the, the question about sovereignty, what do you think? This is this is very key. This is again a new way ahead created by European EU. But do you think the alliances is future? It's going ahead. It's not just just for EU, but in general, it's a new step forward for in generally for like transatlantic relationship, a relationship between EU and China. The institutions should not just stuck to just discreetly in one uh, one city or one in country, but but you know, common open sources for all the people. What do you think about this? So the the question was: uh, Is this only uh, uh, an experiment of European relevance, or it might be relevant and useful for the for the world? And you know, it is very interesting what is happening because university is supposed to was supposed to be universal. This is this this is how how it started. So it did become very national. It contributed to building uh, nation states everywhere. Now we are uh, we are in the middle still of this uh, regional experience. But you are right. So there is something in this initiative, the European University Networks, that hinges on you know going beyond just uh, just europe it is not automatic and it is not easy so if we are by design a european university the european university of social sciences how will this contribute to open up you know avenues to 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 the world i'm not sure we have operationalized that uh, very very exactly but this is something that the european commission thought about when launching this initiative overall and we are also thinking as part of our own uh, initiative and uh, uh, but i i think this will i mean it will always be there it is always there but we have a lot of other steps to 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 make uh, before we go, you know, full throated at the um, you know extra European dimension of the European University project. First of all, it's only natural that we go European first, and we understand why this initiative came from the EU and could only be done in the EU in the world today. So that's very obvious. It doesn't mean, I will be a little more optimistic than leave you. <laughs> because in general, in higher education in particular, but in general, I strongly believe that one of the specificity, not only one of the specificity, but one of the uh, definition of the EU is that the EU is a creator of norm. So if we succeed, 
in showcasing the fact that by coming together, we will be stronger, we will be more open, we will be more democratic, we will be more united in our diversity. I'm hopeful that other universities in the world will want to join our game and then we could expand to, to them and with them. And actually at Chivica, we are already reflecting on working with non-EU partners. And maybe we will also show the norm for such developments in other regions of the world. So, uh, And I like to think that that's one of the roles of, 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 of the EU. And so this is a, an opening for, for tomorrow and for other spaces. So my last question would be, as, as we are discussing this, uh, the whole concept of alliance, the whole concept of building bridges itself is, is a new next step in the future. Uh, in a way, Civica itself is like a future of the higher education. What do you think, like, what is the role of the role of higher education in Europe and generally in the world in, in the future from now at 20 years, 30 years down the line? Professor Mattel, let's start with you. Well, I am not a prophet. I, I don't know. But uh, the, I, I think there are changes, you know, this uh, how preeminence of higher education, very strong visibility of higher education. I think it's starting to fade in some in some uh, in some countries, in some parts of the world. Uh, um, appreciation for the role of expertise is not the same as it used to be in many in many parts of the world. The fact of having a higher education degree being part of being an, an, an expert. So I expect that there will be changes uh, also um, accelerated, if not generated by the COVID, post-COVID uh, period. But uh, I would be uh, I would be more willing to observe and think than uh, about these changes than pretend that I know what they will be at present. Yes, it's indeed a, a complicated question. But so I'll, I'll also uh, two points maybe. First, I think our role uh, has always been, but will be more than ever, to defend evidence-based knowledge. That is what universities do. It is absolutely at risk today. And so we need to pursue with creating science, with creating knowledge and transmitting knowledge that is evidence-based. Why? Because this is key to create concordia within societies. Second, um, I'd like to... Uh, reiterate the special role of the social sciences and the humanities within the higher education sector on our impact on societies. More than ever in the very uh, te technology-driven world in which we will uh, uh, live, in uh, the societies that will be flooded with information uh, with the controversies that will come for science and that will be uh, played with uh, politically, it is absolutely key to develop critical thinking and mostly critical thinking regarding your own action. And that takes training in the humanities and social sciences. And, uh, and I hope that uh, we will be able to all work in a 
multidisciplinary perspective and join forces in these two directions. That was Professor Liu Matai and Professor Vanessa Sher. We discuss the current state of higher education and how it is evolving today. We also discuss what is the impact of technology on the landscape of higher education in Europe and the world. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Over to Europe is produced by Nicholas Fellows and me, Aniket Narawat, with the help of Savika Community. Music in this episode was created by Kevin McLeod. This podcast is funded by German Academic Exchange Service. Subscribe and learn more at www.civica.eu/overtoeurope. Stay tuned for our next episodes. Thank you.